0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. No matter how long you've been in the kitchen, there is always something new to learn, whether it's a simple twist on an old technique or a handy tip to save time and energy. And every Sunday, I share the best of the food world and its ability to feed your soul. I cover all things delicious with some travel and tech and lifestyle thrown in. And as a certified sommelier, I'll share a wine pairing or a cocktail inspiration along the way. So I'm glad that you've tuned in today because we have a terrific show planned. And please know that I value your feedback. So if you have a topic or question that you'd like me to explore, just shoot me an email at jamie at chefjamie.com Or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And this past week, I received an email through the website asking about clarified butter. And it inspired me. So I went directly to the kitchen and I made some. Why, you ask? Well, for many chefs, clarified butter is the cooking fat of choice. It is butter from which the milk solids, the water, and the whey proteins have been removed. Now, for the record, for those of you that know me or have listened to this show for many years, um, for which I am very grateful, I absolutely love the flavor of butter. Now, I believe in everything in moderation. Three bites of chocolate cake is just enough to get your chocolate craving. And I believe that bacon and butter do make most things better. But butter is what I reach for most often when I'm cooking or when I'm baking or when I want to slather a warm piece of bread. Now, the problem with whole butter in cooking is that it actually has a very low smoking point, meaning that it doesn't take too much heat before it starts to sputter and smoke and eventually it will burn. And by the way, I use always unsalted butter in all of my cooking. The only place that salted or lightly salted butter, preferably, has in my kitchen is if I'm having a dinner party and serving warm, beautiful bread at the table with what we call butter service. Then I might put out an elegant, lightly salted European butter, but otherwise I cook with and I bake with unsalted butter all the time. I like unsalted butter because I can determine the salt in my food and I recommend that you should too. Now, since whole butter does burn quickly to combat it when you want to sear a steak on top of the stove or saute vegetables, you cut the butter with a little bit of olive oil, right? Well, instead, you should reach for clarified butter. Now, because it's clarified, it has a lot of benefits. Not only does it have a higher smoking point, the butter also lasts longer because the milk solids actually cause standard butter to go rancid very quickly. And once they've been removed, you can actually keep the butter longer. Now, of course, the milk solids do impart a richer flavor. So clarified butter doesn't have the same depth of flavor as standard butter. And oftentimes I'll finish a sauce or a dish with just a pat of butter and let it melt like let's say over a steak so that I get that richness, preferably a compound butter, right? One that you've added really extraordinary flavor to. Now, making clarified butter is very simple and you can make as much or as little as you want. And the resulting very rich deliciousness is, is a beautifully clear golden liquid when it's melted. And it's preferred in a lot of recipes, again, because it can be cooked at higher temperatures than standard butter. Now, you can find clarified butter or the Indian type, which is called ghee, in many cooking stores and specialty markets. But it is costly. And it is so much more easily made and less expensively made at home. So again, use unsalted butter and a good quality one because you will definitely notice the difference when it's reduced down. And a little jar of clarified butter in the refrigerator is really nice to have on hand. I keep mine well-wrapped. And in fact, I'll put it in a, a Ziploc bag rather than cover it with plastic wrap because it will take on the flavors of your refrigerator, just like any you know regular old stick of butter would. But when you're scrambling eggs in the morning or... If you're searing meat or um, sautéing fish or uh, cooking vegetables in a skillet or just a pot of lovely rice, I will say clarified butter comes into play really well. And of course, in the pastry kitchen... I will say that pastry chefs prefer clarified butter to bake with very often, and they'll make a large batch and keep it and then scrape it or soften it as needed. Now, to make your own clarified butter, all you do is gently melt the butter over low heat in a heavy-bottomed saucepan. And I like a saucepan that has a light-colored bottom, preferably, so that you can see when the butter uh, or butter, catch the butter, I should say, before it turns brown. Now, I have seen clarified butter done in the microwave. I haven't tried it yet, but if you do, please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com, and let me know how it turns out. As the butter melts, the milk solids will sink to the bottom, and the water and the whey protein will gently bubble to the top. And after the water has evaporated, you skim the foam... It's sort of like a dry foam, which is the way, from the top of the clarified butter. And you get this pure, golden, beautiful, I-, I mean, absolutely stunning liquid. Now, if you've gone too long and the bottom of the pot begins to turn brown with little brown specks, you have made brown butter. And I will say that's pretty delicious as well because I think everything is better with brown butter and I will oftentimes brown my butter for a little bit of that hazelnut nutty or as they call in the French term, noisette flavor. But for pure clarified butter, once you've skimmed the foam and you've noticed that the solids sink to the bottom and they're white, you want to very gently pour the clarified butter into some sort of a heat-proof container, making sure not to disturb the milk solids at the bottom. And remember that two sticks of butter will eventually give you about half the yield. So you will lose about half in the process. And that's okay, by the way, because you're losing water and whey. And that's what the goal is, in fact. Now, once you cool the clarified butter, cover it and refrigerate it until you're ready to use it. And then, of course you can make Thomas Keller's banana bread pudding. If you have not seen Thomas Keller's banana bread pudding before, it is a sight. And you can find the recipe posted at chefjamie.com. He actually calls for clarified butter in the recipe, uh, and it is uh, truly scrumptious, I should say. Speaking of the website, there are a few things this week you will not want to miss, like my Think Like a Chef feature to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. This week's feature is all about how you can grind your way to a better burger. Because if you want to make the best burgers on the barbecue this summer or meatballs in red sauce or even Sunday supper meatloaf, then you should be grinding your own beef. And I've given you all the suggestions you need, a tutorial, in fact, on how you can use the grinder attachment of your KitchenAid mixer, but you can even use your food processor too. And I've given you some suggestions for combinations of meat that are really luscious you'll also find my weekly dish on the website at chefjamie.com: a grilled lemon rosemary brick chicken it has a really pungent lemony marinade you do need a brick wrapped in foil or a cast iron skillet or if you have a salt block bring it on and uh, I will say it's probably some of the best chicken you've ever had And then a tequila watermelon cooler to wash it all down when the summer season's watermelon is prime and sweet. And then a seasonal recipe to inspire you to grill. I've posted my grilled eggplant Parmesan. And do not touch your dial because there is so much more delicious conversation coming up in your radio. Gain culinary intelligence right after the break. Chef Jamie Gwen, I'll be right back. to you chef jamie gwen in your radio oh i love it when this gentleman stops by he is the acclaimed cookbook author who always has something new up his sleeve so break out the ice prep some fruit juice Grab the booze and you've got all the makings of sophisticated, freshly blended cocktails. Yes, we are mixing up a drink today. In their newest release, entitled The Boozy Blender, veteran recipe wizards Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough are delivering fun twists on classic blender drinks. And Bruce has stopped by to blend up a few. I'm glad to have you back, Bruce. How are you? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? Doing great, thank you. Is Mark uh, standing in front of the blender while, <laughs> while you measure ingredients? Mark
0: is always standing tapping on an empty cup. Okay? Fill, it, <laughs> fill it, fill it, fill it. It's like when I make dinner and he taps on an empty plate. Hurry up.
1: <laughs> I, I like that, actually, because we call that inspiration, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, sure. Uh, I happen to love my blender, Bruce. I mean, we know each other a long time, and I always love when you grace this show, but um, I think my radio listeners know I love my blender. I think the blender does much more than we give it credit for.
0: Oh, blender can do amazing.
1: It's true, right? And if you blend it long enough, whatever it is, like, you know, cauliflower soup gets really uh, beautifully elegant and smooth if you let the blender go or, you know, vinaigrettes emulsify. I think the same rule applies to boozy drinks, as you talk about. The blender can make things Brilliant when it comes to a cocktail.
0: Yeah, there. I mean, I love a good shaken cocktail. I mean, let's say I'm not giving up a martini, and I'm probably not going to put a martini in a blender. Right. But having said that, you know, when it's as warm as it's been, and when I'm in the mm-hmm. throes of summer heat, I don't want a martini. I want a frozen cocktail, and my blender is the only way to really get that right. And it's not just any blender. You actually kind of have to know how to use your blender right. Um, because most people do use the blenders for smoothies. And let's face it, when you're putting a banana and some yogurt and a few strawberries in a blender, any blender is going to handle that just fine, no matter how old it is. But if you want to make a really slushy, evenly blended ice drink, there's some things you really have to pay attention to with your blender.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the five things you need to know to make perfect frozen drinks. Number one, you do need to know how to use the blender for cocktails. And
0: you know how to check your blender to make sure it's still going to work for you. So I'm going to actually talk about that first, because to me that's so important. If you've had your blender for 20 years and you use it a lot, chances are you need to replace the blades, and most people don't even know you could do that. But on many, many blender models you can replace the blades. They get dull. And having sharp blades will really help a lot. Um, And the other thing to do, and this seems almost um too obvious to say but when you're blending a frozen drink keep the lid on the blender oh well, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you i think... know, i mean
0: i've seen it happen yes
1: and i i think it's a good reminder i mean we've all we've all done it put the put the top on unless you want to clean the ceiling
0: <laughs> and if you brought your blender outside on the deck if you've got a pool or something just make sure your plugs are safe because water and electricity don't really blend all that well together. Good So points. you want to just be safe because it is an electrical appliance.
1: Yeah, that it is. Okay, you need to measure ingredients well, and this rule really applies to any cocktail, but it definitely does when you're making blended drinks especially, I would think, because when I make a blended drink, I think a crowd.
0: Yeah, well, I do. I think you're right. I want to make them for a crowd, but you're only going to get probably two drinks per blender full. Okay. Um, but the thing about drinks in the blender is you have to measure carefully because they're not very forgiving. When you make a big pot of soup, Jamie, you know that an extra half a teaspoon of dried thyme Mm -hmm. is not going to ruin that soup. Either way, too much or too little. But an extra half a shot of lime juice can throw the whole balance of a cocktail
1: off so a jigger or if you use a shot glass or whatever your measurement of choice is or your your vessel of choice measure carefully measure carefully
0: yeah in 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 the boozy blender we measure everything in ounces and so yes you've all we've all seen the bartenders just pick up the bottles and start dumping the stuff in without even questioning. and the reason they could do that is because they make 600 drinks a day, and they know exactly what a half-ounce pour looks like out of their bottles. But if you're not making that quantity... Use your use your jigger, use your measuring cup, and measure each and every time you pour something in the blender.
1: Okay, and then how do we get the right consistency? Because we all have the smoothie challenge, right? You added too much ice and your morning protein drink, you know, you, you can't get out of the glass or nothing sucks through the straw. We've all been there. You're laughing because yesterday morning you might have had the same challenge.
0: Oh, well, you know, testing recipes for this book, I went through that all the time, trying to find just the right amount of ice um, with the amount of liquid to give me a frozen drink that I can actually sip through a straw. Yes. Because although I'm not a fan of the straw, um, I am a fan of it when it comes to frozen drinks. I really like it because it's kind of like a swizzle stick I could sort of suck through and it keeps everything stirred up well. Um, So the first and foremost rule I'm going to give you when you're making it for consistency is don't shortchange the blend cycle. Let mm-hmm. it go, because there's nothing worse than underblending. Right. Because if you underblend it, then you've got uneven-sized chunks of ice, and you've got pieces that won't fit up into the straw. And if you can't really overblend, it just gets smoother and smoother and smoother. Now, having said that, I will say that if you've got one of these monster turbo blenders with the four, four or five-horsepower motors, which... By the way, I think it's more powerful than my lawnmower. Yeah, uh, that's
1: true.
0: <laughs> the longer you leave it on, you start to create friction, which will heat and then start to warm your drink up. So you don't want to go. You certainly don't want to blend more than two minutes. Okay. But your drink is probably not going to be done in 20 seconds.
1: Okay, Good. good to remember. And then number five on the five things you need to know to make perfect frozen drinks from the boozy blender. I happen to love because I learned something new. I did not know that there was an actual medical term for brain freeze. Yeah,
0: it's, it's I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. And it's because the nerves in the back of your mouth and your soft palate, if you hit them with too much cold at once, they seize up. And you get this nerve pain running right through your head. That hurts. We all know that hurts. It's an
1: ice cream headache.
0: It is. Brain freeze. Ice cream headache. So what you've got to do, I mean, you've got to warm them up really fast. You have to warm up your soft palate. (laughs) So the first thing you do is jam your tongue against your soft palate because hopefully you've bypassed your tongue with that drink. and went right to the back of your throat. So your tongue is still somewhat warm. Right. And then press that against your soft palate. Tilt your head back. And breathe through your mouth, getting warm air, pressing against that. You just have to warm that nerve back up. The sooner you do that, the sooner that pain goes away.
1: Very smart. Okay, let's get to the cocktails. Could you? I know. Let's get to the good stuff. I've marked my favorites that I can't wait to make first from the book. A frozen lemon meringue pie. Oh, right up my alley. God, I love that.
0: Uh, You know, I wanted, um, pies are just such an amazing it's just such an amazing thing that I thought, yes. why not figure out drinks that taste like pie? Pie, like, uh, uh, right, pie. Can't get enough pie. And if you're putting, so the frozen meringue pie has rum in it, and it's got lemon juice, and it's got simple syrup. And then to give it the flavor of the meringue, I went with using orgeat, the almond syrup. And it was just such a great combination. But I want to say something about rum now. And this is I'm not going to repeat this in each recipe we talk about because you want to use decent rum. Maybe not rum that you would definitely want to sip alone without a drink. It doesn't have to be that high quality.
1: Good to know. Um, A pomegranate freeze with the pomegranate craze. I love the idea of using pomegranate juice concentrate for that really intense flavor.
0: Yeah, pomegranate juice concentrate not only... Um, gives it the intense flavor, but it gives you um, great color too. And I decided that using um, fruit concentrates in these drinks just was such a better idea than using the fruit juice because I was first I was making them just with juice, and then I was always so disappointed with the with the flavor. It wasn't ever high enough. And then I decided, why don't I just try the concentrate and in the end, it made all the difference in a great
1: cocktail. Yeah, really smart. Um, I love that you mentioned that whoever first put salt and caramel together should win the Nobel Peace Prize for food. Oh, I think so. Oh, I sure. agree. Salt, caramel, slush. Ooh, vodka and dolce leche and brandy and vanilla liqueur. I am a vanilla liqueur lover, by the way. Oh, I use it for everything.
0: It's a great thing. And so many people don't even, like, know what it is. And... um, i love it i think it's absolutely spectacular
1: He is Bruce Weinstein, and along with Mark Scarborough, they are the creators of the best-selling Ultimate Cookbook Series. They've been nominated for every James Beard Award known to man, and they are regular contributors to WeightWatchers.com and to Eating Well and to The Washington Post. But you will find their newest recipe creations in the new book release entitled The Boozy Blender, and you'll find an excerpted recipe at ChefJamie.com. You can always follow Bruce and Mark at BruceAndMark.com. Dot com as well. When the next cookbook comes out, because I know you're working on something new and fabulous. Will you come back, please? Of Bruce? course. We'll see you next spring. Love to have you. Look forward to it. Cheers to summer to you. Thank you, Bruce. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving, and so we are always bringing you a fresh perspective. Will Rosenzweig has spent more than 25 years integrating the practices of an entrepreneur, investor, and educator. He is regarded internationally as an expert in cultivating and transforming impactful ideas into thriving enterprises. So I thought it would be a most interesting conversation to talk about the state of the world of food with him. Will was founding CEO of the Republic of Tea, the award-winning specialty tea company credited with creating the premium tea category in the US. And as an entrepreneur and investor, he has been involved in Odwalla, Stonyfield Farms, Trinity Springs, just to name a few. Last year, Will joined forces with this Culinary Institute of America I call it the CIA my alma mater to launch the food business School which is the CIA's new Center for executive and graduate education and as Dean and executive director of the food business school will is working with industry experts to address the world's most pressing food challenges and its greatest business opportunities so he is joining us live today to give us some perspective on the state of the restaurant world and to inspire inspire entrepreneurs looking to break into the wide world of food. And I'm glad to have you, Will. Thank you, Jamie. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited about the Food Business School. It's a whole new extension, uh, a level of education for the CIA. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, But I'd like to talk about the state of the food world and and why food businesses are different than all other businesses when you read about them, when you read the statistics, when you follow the successes and the failures as well.
2: Well, the food business is probably the only industry where every single person on the planet, if they're actually lucky, is a, is a, customer or an eater
1: potential so right. we're
2: all uh, we're all consumers in the food system and I think what's very interesting today is food to me is the catalyzing uh, substance and topic that makes um, the world of the environment, uh, the world of health and the world of culture personal and vibrant so mm-hmm. it touches us in many ways. And I think now that we understand so much more about how food and nutrition and diet affect our health and how um, over-nutrition can manifest in you know very um, debilitating and expensive to care for chronic diseases, mm-hmm. um, we also now understand that growing foods in certain ways, whether the way beef is produced, for instance, or the way certain crops have been um, produced with a I, solely on yield or output, has had um, environmental implications. So we're starting to really understand systems through the lens of what we put on our plate and our fork and what we consume. So to me, that's very exciting and um, creates a lot of opportunity and, um, you know, a lot of challenges for. Sure. Some of the incumbent leaders in the
1: field. Let's talk about some of those leaders, because when we look at new brands or um, budding food businesses or those that are the most successful, I immediately think of uh, Chipotle, for instance, right? They're very much on the cutting edge of what you've talked about, the health directive, right? They're conscious and very... A communicative about their choices as far as sourcing ingredients. And Chipotle, I think, would be the leader in my mind as for the newest success on the block. And it's ever growing.
2: Right. I think they went beyond just saying, look, it's going to taste great. It's got to taste great. But we really care about you. Right. And we also, so we care about your health and well-being. So we want to serve you healthier ingredients. We don't want to sacrifice taste, but we want to um serve you healthier foods, healthier portions. Um, We want to be very transparent with you about that Um, and we also want you to know that we care about how things are grown and how they get from the soil or the farm to your plate Mm -hmm. and we're going to share the information we have about that and we're going to make that part of our brand promise to you, the consumer, and that trust Um, in this era of so much noise and confusion in the food space has really broken through. And so ironically, you know, as an alternative to, say, their former owner, McDonald's, Hmm. um, when you look at what's been happening to McDonald's, where their sales are down and their stock is down, and Chipotle's going the other direction. Um, The other things that are changing so quickly are the way people get their services, you know, this whole notion of the on-demand economy now, where a millennial is very used to saying, I want something and I'll have it here in two hours and I can order it on my smartphone. Yes. It's been remarkable to see the growth of companies like Blue Apron, you know, that's bringing prepared ingredients to your kitchen, you right. know, at night they, for you to prepare. They do all or, the prep,
1: right, Will? They do all the prep, Yeah, it's right? like having a prep cook arrive at your front door.
2: Exactly. And, um, again an emphasis on healthy ingredients, an emphasis on locally sourced ingredients, sustainably um, produced ingredients, mm-hmm. or a company like Munchery, which brings you a whole meal just ready to eat to your door, you know, kind of liberating what, you know, or delivering what maybe many people in New York enjoyed for many years by being able to call <laughs> all kinds of different menus. but. Now it's all in one place on your phone.
1: and so and so easy. will we need to take a quick pause. When we come back, there is more on the state of the food world right after this. We're dishing with Will Rosenzweig, professor at UC Berkeley and dean of the new food business school. Tell the story of Revolution Foods, if you would, because I know that you're associated with them. And I think if you're a a budding entrepreneur, if you're a restaurateur across this country, if you're a small business owner and you're listening to this conversation, then the Revolution's Revolution Foods story, rather, is an inspiring one.
2: Well, entrepreneurs go and look for unmet needs in the marketplace. They look for problems that they care about, that they think they can bring a better solution to. And uh, two women who were in my entrepreneurship class at UC Berkeley about eight years ago um, were had been in education and had a sense of how terrible the school meal programs had become. In right. essence, many schools had closed down their own kitchens and cafeterias and were outsourcing most of their um, uh, lunch service to purveyors of what we would now call junk food. So pizzas and hot dogs and, you know, nothing that would rate as being healthy. And it's very interesting because they not only saw poor dietary um, standards, but those, that poor nutrition also manifests itself in poor behavior and poor attention span and ultimately poor performance in school. So they said, we got to figure out how to do something about this. We're going to bring healthier lunches to schools. And they started as MBA students at Berkeley. They launched a pilot in a charter school in Oakland one summer, eight years ago, and now they're in seven states. They're serving 1.3 million meals a week
3: um,
2: in hundreds and hundreds of schools um, from public school districts like the San Francisco Unified School District to smaller um, charter schools and private schools. But what's remarkable is a a majority of the students who are receiving these meals are doing so in some kind of um, supported manner. So these are people that have difficulty accessing healthy food. This isn't just for privileged people. This is really reaching underserved um, people at a very, very, um, you know, challenging price point. Right. So these are but the, the magic that they've been able to do is they, they, they've they used these are all chef-driven um, meals. They're They're kid-inspired. They're developed by chefs. And there's a whole educational component that comes along with it. So the kids are really learning not only about what they're eating, but where it comes from and, and you know, how it affects their health and their well-being. It's and really
3: fabulous. It's just been
2: really transformative. Yeah. So it's an example of a, a social need that turned into a very large and successful business. And, right. And you know, you'd, you'd, you'd ask, you know, why couldn't the companies that are serving Food, the schools do that.
1: And the website for those interested in. The Food Business School is foodbusinessschool.org. You can always follow Will Rosenzweig's avid speaking engagements. Oh, and his gardening as well. I love your creative side, Will, at ideagarden.com, of course. And congratulations on the honor with the Oslo Business for Peace Award, the highest distinction given to a business person for outstanding accomplishments in the area of ethical business. I know. should be very proud of that. Yes. Um, and very proud to have you here. Thank you. He is Will Rosenzweig, and he shares his perspective. We'll come back soon. I'd love to have you. Thanks. As the Delicious Conversation continues, stay tuned. You just might learn something. There's more Delicious Conversation right after this. Welcome back. It's food and wine, and it's divine. And oh, you can find it all across this great nation of ours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, who's ready to take a road trip? Well, Sunset Magazine and road foodie blogger Bridget Bins have teamed up to take you on a mouthwatering tour along scenic highways and picturesque back roads of the Pacific coast. And so today, Bridget has stopped by to discover the local eateries and the dives and the cafes. Well, she's already discovered them. She's going to enlighten you to them in Washington State, in fact, showcasing the true flavors of a growing food region. From the book recently released entitled Eating Up the West Coast, the best road trips, restaurants, and recipes from California to Washington, brought to you by Bridget and Stella's Extraordinary Journeys and Sunset Magazine. Bridget joins us live, and I'm glad to have you, Bridget. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jamie. No, of it's course. great to be here. Um, okay, we know that you love to eat great local food. You like to venture off the beaten path. And for those like myself and like you, we're all in the same boat. We love a journey. And I like this idea very much of all of the ingredients in a dish, indigenous to the area around you. And I happen to love fish and fruit like i think it's a wonderful combination blackberry gastrique with you know grilled salmon or um these balsamic strawberries had to be a really nice flavor uh complement to the rich fish to the rich salmon
3: you're so right and i i love gastrique as well and that basically is what what this is without having said so um that's it's gastrique and this chef up there, Jess Owen, at the Ocean Crest Resort, where you're talking about the mm-hmm. Peppered Wild Salmon. He is a really, he's a creative genius, home-trained, uh, third generation on the property, and I really, I found that to be one of the biggest surprises of my entire trip, was this funny little town of <laughs> Um way up, you're almost into the the west. Side of the Olympic Peninsula where basically no one goes except for fans of vampire fiction, <laughs> um, and and there's not much there. But this one little hotel uh, just above this gorgeous deep beach that's perfect for running on with dogs. And there is Jess Owen, and he creates these these interesting dishes. And then what you see on the next page afterwards is his grandmother's famous clam chowder that nice. has been bringing people to that little inn nineteen
1: forty five. I saw that. I love the history. I do. And I love that there's family legacy and that he's paying it forward and, and sharing it. And if I may share the wealth, um, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to just mention that the balsamic strawberries of Chef Jess... Uh, as you recap the recipe, are really simple. I mean, you combine maple syrup, balsamic vinegar, and strawberries, and in a saute pan after the salmon is grilled, you can put that pan right on the barbecue itself and just reduce the mixture down, right? I mean, but you're talking a few ingredients for fabulous flavor.
3: Well, this is one of those cases where the restaurant is not making the dish too restauranty because there's absolutely no need to. When you're using ingredients like that, which luckily enough – we can all get. Mm-hmm. There's no need to, to make it any more complex than that. And that's something that I found a lot here. I mean, there are times in my life where I have translated restaurant recipes for the home market that were so complex that there was just no hope of anyone reproducing this unless they, you know, were to take a week off work. But <laughs> these recipes are not like that. Um, and I just want to draw your attention, speaking of berries. To that Dutch, blueberry Dutch baby with lemon curd. Oh, yes. That, um, comes from this adorable little cafe and bistro in Port Townsend, Washington. Such an interesting, the architecture there is so fantastic and old, kind of federal, and this cute little bistro. This Dutch baby, if you have a cast iron pot, <laughs> pan, is foolproof, glorious, sunny. The lemon curd is tart, the berries pop in your mouth. It's one of the most beautiful recipes in
1: the book. Okay. I can't wait to make it. And you've successfully made me hungry. So thank you very much. Um, and thank you for taking culinary adventures and bringing to us the local flavors and the hidden eateries. It really is a, a wonderful journey of the West coast. It's the new book release from sunset magazine and Bridget bins, by the way, who was noted by the Huffington Post as one of the best food and drink websites. It's Road Foodie, of course, that she is known for. And the best road trips, restaurants, and recipes from California to Washington are highlighted in the new book, along with recipes galore. Bridget, will you come back and dish on Oregon next, please? I would
3: absolutely love to because I long ago went to college there. So I have a lot of fun going back and thinking about it again. Oh,
1: you've got the insider tips. I love it. You can learn more about Bridget's uh, escapades, along with Stella, her dog, at Bridget dot com. Bridget, come back soon, please. Thank you so much, Jamie. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary intelligence. I hope that I made you hungry and that I satiated your appetite and that you'll tune in every Sunday to savor the flavor. You can find daily delicious inspiration at chef and on facebook twitter and instagram at chef jamie gwen and don't worry if you happen to miss a show you can always find my podcasts on itunes under food and wine with chef jamie gwen i'll leave you with what i like to call my last bite and this week's last bite in fact is a one ingredient recipe I think it's pretty genius, I must say, with all humility, Um, but you can make your own yogurt pops without the need of a popsicle holder or a fancy contraption. All you need is wooden popsicle sticks or even a sturdy straw will do. You don't have to feel guilty either about this sweet frozen treat because if you have a favorite brand of, let's say, low-fat yogurt where you buy the individual yogurts in the dairy section and they have a soft top that you just peel off, leave the top on, stick a wooden popsicle stick or a sturdy straw straight into the container and throw it in the freezer. You will be amazed that once frozen, that plastic container slips off super easily and you have a frozen yogurt pop in just one ingredient okay I think it's genius really and I'll post a picture again on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen I hope you'll tune in next Sunday for more fabulous food in your radio I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off I thank you for listening and I hope you continue to eat well